Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. We're talking about a composer who was a child prodigy, but his success did not follow him into adulthood. Or so he thought. It's Georges Bizet, and we'll also be taking a look at his unfinished Roma Symphony. Bizet was born in Paris in 1838. His given name was Alexander César Leopold Bizet. Apparently, he gave himself the name George later, as he just liked it better. Basically everyone in Bizet's family was a musician. His father was a vocal instructor, his mother a pianist, and he had an aunt and uncle who were employed in the Paris Conservatory. With all this musical leadership coming at him from an early age, George apparently learned music at the same time as he was learning to read and write, and thus became very proficient early on. Due to his unique talents, George was enrolled in the Paris Conservatory just a few months before he turned 10, and he was able to keep up with the training. He was awarded several prizes for various music skills throughout his time at the conservatory. As we've talked about on the coffeehouse before, the Paris Conservatory really liked to hold competitions for its pupils to prove that they were constantly improving. If you don't win, you don't stay in school. You'll recall that in his time, Ravel was dismissed from the conservatory because he failed to win prizes. But Bizet was more lucky than some, as he won right up to the grandest prize of all, the Prix de Rome. He had composed a cantata titled Clove et Clotilde that impressed the judges. So when he was 17 years old, Bizet left his hometown of Paris to live in Rome for the next three years. The rules of the prize were apparently very simple. Bizet only had to turn in a single work for review during each of the three years spent abroad. As such, he had plenty of time to travel all around Italy and absorb all the arts and culture it had to offer. This, of course, included the powerful Italian opera, which at this point of history in the mid-1800s was really coming into its own. Bizet was highly influenced by composers such as Rossini and Verdi, although he claims to have disliked many of Verdi's works. He also cited the Romantic German composers as having a strong influence over his style. After his three years of study in Rome, Bizet was both eager and afraid to return to Paris. On one hand, it would allow him to get on with his Parisian life and really start making a name for himself on the opera and symphony stages. However, at this time of his life, Bizet was struggling with serious self-doubt. Starting when he was still in school, but only getting worse with time, Bizet would have fervent ideas for new works and begin them in earnest. However, so many would never be finished as he would reflect on how they would be viewed by the public. Apparently, by the end of his life, he had started 30 operas, but only six were ever fully finished. So with this trepidation, Bizet was smartly concerned about how his future would play out. But no amount of worrying could stop the future, and Bizet did end up back in Paris in 1860. He was mildly successful with an opera titled The Pearl Fishers. This was an exotic opera that at the time was described as rivaling Wagner in terms of how unusual it was. Apparently, the French crowds were interested in a little bit of an experimentation for now. Because after that, Bizet was rather unsuccessful. Many of his works never made it to the stage during his life, or if they did, they had very short runs. 
1870, Bizet took a bit of a break from composition as the Franco-Prussian War had broken out. Bizet enlisted in the French National Guard, thus putting his compositions on hold. Following the short period of war, there followed a period of civil unrest in Paris that still made it difficult for Bizet to compose. During this time, Bizet and his wife fled to the countryside to avoid the city violence. Finally, in 1873, Bizet returned to composing. This time, he was working on yet another opera, Carmen. Bizet had a difficult time getting this work to the stage. Many opera companies didn't want to perform it, as they thought the scenes were too violent to be depicted on stage. However, it was finally produced in 1875. The crowd's reception was lukewarm. On the one hand, it was well-written and had catchy, exotic melodies that we remember today. But on the other hand, they agreed with the opera companies who had turned the work down that it was indeed violent and scandalous. Sadly, in 1875, just a few months after the run of Carmen had started, Bizet suffered a heart attack that killed him. He then never got to see the success that Carmen now has as one of the mainstays of modern opera companies, with suites being played by major orchestras. So now we'll talk about a Bizet work that is much less frequently played, the Roma Symphony. Unsurprisingly, he came up with the idea for the symphony while he was living in Rome. He envisioned a descriptive work that would encompass the folk music of different regions of Italy as a sort of musical tour. However, being the slow and painstakingly critical composer that he was, while he lived in Italy, he only finished the scherzo. In 1866, six years after returning to Paris, Bizet had finally finished a first draft of the symphony, but he wasn't satisfied with it. It took him another three years to make revisions that he was satisfied enough with to have the piece performed publicly. However, he still wasn't fully pleased. He made more and more revisions until 1871, and then never really went any further with it. The only movement he didn't revise at this time was the original scherzo. As we know, Bizet died in 1875, and the fully revised version that he had worked on wasn't even performed until five years after that in 1880. So it was quite a torturous journey for this little piece that even now is infrequently heard. Today we're going to look at the movement Bizet himself loved most from the work, Movement 2, The Scherzo. The movement begins with just the first violin section, playing what we will see as the overarching motif throughout the entire movement. This melody consists of a grace note embellishment leading into a group of eighth notes, which is followed by a series of rising and falling quarters, all in 3-4 time. And the speed of this 3-4 time makes it necessary for the conductor to only beat one large beat per measure while the orchestra subdivides. We soon come to find out this melody is being built up like a round as more and more string sections join in. Counterpoint is actually very reminiscent of the counterpoint heard in Berlioz's fifth movement of Symphony Fantastique that had been written 30 years earlier in 1830. 
After the initial counterpoint introduction, with the help of the timpani, we get into the movement proper that features the melody embellished with harmony. Remember that the main melody of this movement is also a musical motif, meaning little snippets of it will be heard throughout. In this case, we hear the woodwinds showing off a lyrical chord progression, but under that, the strings still play the little grace note, eighth note melodic material. Bizet is not afraid of using modulations, but because of that, he often strays from the home key of A-flat major. But as a skilled music theorist, he still has some tricks that will help get him back. One of the oldest tricks in the book is to use our old friend the Circle of Fifths to cleanly modulate back to where you want to be. Listen to this passage here, where the orchestra makes several leaps. They start in G-flat and leap down to C-flat, also known as F-sharp, to be natural. This is a fifth. After that, the next fifth in line is E, but instead of continuing to move in downward leaps, Bizet leaps up to the E instead, which is a fourth, but in theory terms, fifths and fourths are equal but opposite. And from here, we take our next fifth leap down to A. But wait! Didn't we say the home key was A-flat, not A-natural? Well, yes, however, he has tricked us because the A chord he had landed on from the circle of fifths progression was actually a 5-7 chord. Now stick with us here. The 5-7 chord can actually be a fifth of another key. In this case, Bizet is being tricksy and using it as a 4 of 5, a more rare use of this scheme. This means the actual key we're temporarily dealing with is E-flat, not A-flat. And here's where it gets more complex. The actual fourth of E-flat is still A-flat, not A-natural. So what are we to conclude? Well, Bizet is bending the rules and using chromatics to make it seem like A flows naturally into E-flat, which, when you listen to the passage, it sounds totally normal. And later, he'll mess with more modulations to finally take this E-flat key back to its actual home of A-flat. Well, that was very complex. Luckily, Bizet has a nice calm B section coming up for us. This section sounds so luxurious compared to the A section, because instead of having three quarter notes per measure, Bizet actually writes in double quarters in the melody, which is still being played over top of the triplet feel. The contrast of dividing the measure in half rather than in three parts does make it feel like time has slowed, even though the tempo between the two sections is exactly the same. 
Do recall, the symphony is supposed to be giving us the sounds of Rome. Sure, the triplet melody at the beginning can be interpreted as sounding Italian, but the style and chord progressions near the end of the B section here are actually more reminiscent of some of the Italian opera styles that Bizet would have been primarily interested in during this time period. The movement is written in ABA style, with a DC al fine written at the end of the B section. So let's take some time to talk about what musicians sometimes refer to as musical roadmaps. These are shorthand communications that tell musicians what bits of music to play at what time. And they were of course developed to save time and money on music printing, especially when it used to be all copied by hand. If a composer wanted the exact same thing played again that he had written previously, why bother writing it all out? Hence, the DC al fine, and also the DC al coda. DC stands for de capo, or the head, meaning to go back to the beginning of the piece. Al fine means play to the end, which is then noted at the appropriate part of the music with the word fine, or end. If we have a DC al coda, that means go back to the beginning and play until there is a notation to jump to the new coda material that actually is written out fresh. There is also a version where DS is written instead of DC. This means del signe, or start at the sign, and this is usually used when there's an introduction before the piece really ramps up at the beginning, and the composer wishes to skip that intro the second time through. So there's a fancy squiggle sign that is the signa that will notate where to jump back to. While this can seem confusing at first, realizing what the form of the piece is really helps to intuitively know where the roadmap is directing you, and with a few good rehearsals, players will usually remember what to do. So we hope you've enjoyed musically traveling back with us this week with this fun scherzo movement from Bizet. If you did enjoy this, consider sharing us with a friend and dropping us a review on iTunes or Google Play. What about Spotify, Asa? If you're listening to us on Spotify, be sure to hit that follow button. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Bizet's Roma Symphony was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find the copy house on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 